Good morning to those of you in the room, those of you who will watch online, those of you who will see this on video. Uh, it's a great morning, and we're changing our focus from Thanksgiving to Christmas uh, these weeks. And I'm real excited about our Christmas series that we're in. And the reason I'm real excited about it is it gives kind of a new description of the God we just adored. We sang that, we adore you, we adore you. Well, uh, a lot of you uh, have heard me teach before that a lot of biblical truths about God and about how we're supposed to live are like a coin. And I'm bringing that idea back this morning for a minute. So a lot of biblical truths aren't simply heads or aren't simply tails, but what they actually are is their heads and tails, and we follow Jesus by living on the edge of a coin, and, and that's really tough. It's not simplistic, it's not boring, it's not easy to understand there's a heads and a tails, and we have to live in the tension of those two, because we keep wobbling. And at Christmas, almost always, we teach about what I would call the heads of who God is. And that is the idea of God is friend, God is brother, God is close. God became one of us by putting skin on. Uh, God is, is, uh, loves us incredibly. Alice did a great job last week of that in Romans 8, at the end of Romans 8. She said, you know, um, uh, we, he's a father, he's a shepherd, he's a lover, he loves us unconditionally. There's nothing we can ever do to get him to turn his back on us. There's nothing we can ever do to get him to stop seeking us. All of those things. But this Christmas, we want to bring the other side of the coin, and it's a side of the coin you may not have heard in church for a long time. It's the side of the coin, the tails of the coin, where we're going to declare to you, week after week, God is a stranger. He's a stranger. You don't know what he's like. He's like way beyond us. He's, he's, um, he's always doing unexpected things. He's always showing up in unexpected ways. He's always doing things in your family you never would have expected. And if you were God, you wouldn't have allowed those things to happen. Right? I can start looking at you and describing what God has done in your life. You said, I didn't see that coming. If I were God and I had power, I wouldn't have let that happen. So this Christmas, as we live on the edge of the coin, we're going to be bringing that tail side of the coin that God is stranger. And then the joy we have to do is say, how does that work in a life? So um, there's a couple of verses that are real key in this in the scriptures. The first one's from the Old Testament, Isaiah. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so, says God, are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You don't think like God. You don't behave like God. Maybe we should switch that and say God doesn't think like you. God doesn't behave like you. And one of the American problems we have in, uh, really, I think, with our next generations and our young people is we've slipped into thinking God's just a really good Dave. No, he's completely, completely different. Completely different. He's a stranger. Here's another verse from John. The Gospel of John. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He blows where he wants. He does what he wants. He does this thing I wouldn't have done if I were God. He shows up in this way, which I wouldn't have done if I were God. But that's the point. He's stranger. 
He's above us. He's amazing. And we don't get it. We don't get to package him. This is so true in the Christmas story and in our lives. That's why we decided to bring it at Christmas time. Uh, two words. Uh, Carla brought these. Uh, God as friend and God as stranger. That's the balance we're trying to hit in the Christmas story. So one key, key question about the Christmas story, which I've had for a long time, was how did the Jews miss Jesus? I mean, their whole religion was looking forward to a Messiah. They had all the prophets telling him how he was going to come, where he was going to be born. They had all the prophets. They had memorized the prophecies. The Jews quoted all kinds of stuff that said there was a Messiah, a king coming. And yet, they missed him. Why was that? Because God was operating in incomprehensible to them kinds of ways. Incomprehensible ways. Um, he came as an unexpected person in an unexpected way with an unexpected message. He was incomprehensible and unexpected in the way he came because that's who God is and that's how he works. One of the old creeds, Alice brought it to our teacher's team, there's a whole list of characteristics of God that uh, God is this, this, and this, and one of the words was incomprehensible. This is an idea that Christians have had for years and years. They had a preconceived plan of how God would come. I mean, if a king's coming, where's he going to come? He's going to come to the government. Or if a prophet's coming, he's going to come to the church. He's not going to come in a manger in Bethlehem. So they had a preconceived way they were seeing God was going to work in their lives. And when God didn't work that way, they closed their mind. And even when Jesus stood before him and said, hey, you know that prophecy there? That's me? They couldn't get it. And I wonder how often that happens in your life and my life, your business and my business, your career and my career. God is at work. It's really clear to him. And you and I are looking at it going, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't get how this works. So I'm going to use the shepherds for my part of the Christmas story and just point out a few things of how this happened, even with this little piece of the story called the shepherds. So uh, take a look at this. And there's a scripture. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Well, that's what shepherds do. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Get this. This is the first public announcement of the birth of Jesus. Did it come to the government? Nope. Did it come to the church? Nope. Did it come to the priests, the high priests, the Sanhedrin? Did it come anywhere you would expect? No. The first public announcement is an angel to a bunch of blue-collar shepherds. If I were God... That wouldn't be my plan. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Here's the surprising thing of the message. For all people. The Jews never saw that coming. They thought they were the inner circle. They thought uh, the Messiah and the king would be coming for them. Their savior and rescuer would be coming for them. And right away... First public announcement, the angel says, it's for everybody. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Food, uh, uh, 
a feeding trough. No wonder the Jews didn't get it. If I were thinking of how to send a king, if I were God, thinking about how to send a king, a messiah, a rescuer, a savior, a leader, if I probably wouldn't have put him in a feeding trough. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. He is a stranger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see, oh, what kind of a king, what kind of a God lets the king call for a census and then move the place where Jesus is going to be born to Bethlehem, which was not the home of Mary or Joseph. But, of course, he knew that hundreds and hundreds of years before because it was prophesied. Wow. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them. So these shepherds get fired up. And now they not only receive the first message, they are the first witnesses to this birth. Blue collar, smelly, field kind of people going around excited about this king. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. Their hearts were different. Now, there's so many things about this part of the story that, that is totally unexpected. That's why we called the series Unexpected. He's always doing unexpected things. So there's an unexpected delivery system. Who would plan for God's son to come to earth through the birth canal of a teenage unmarried mother who was living in a city apart from her family with no home? If I were God, that wouldn't be my plan. There was an unexpected census. Who would think God would use or allow a worldly census to move the placement of his son? Jesus, very quickly after his birth, became a refugee. Remember? Because why? Because the king is going to do genocide. Every boy, two years or younger, is going to be killed in that area, so God wakes up Jesus' parents and says, hey, you need to take him to Egypt. He's going to be a refugee the first years of his life. Hmm. I can see why people struggle with God's plans, what he allows, how, how he even works with evil. God has been operating outside the box, allowing things uh, and most people miss his work because he's doing unexpected things. And again, does he love you? Yes. Can you trust him? Yes. Does he keep his promises? Yes. But how he does all those things is strange. And you would never, ever, ever expect it. I met with a young atheist. Uh, he's an atheist by his own. Uh, we spent several hours together. And during the meeting, we talked a lot about his atheism and my faith. And you know one of the things he said to me? This is a kid who grew up in the church. A great young man. Dave, Christianity in me is boring. Boring. 
That got me thinking. You know, if we just always declare one side, it gets a little pat. It gets a little boring. If we understand that God operates outside our box in incredible ways, and we try to live on the edge, it feels to me like that's a lot less boring. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a lot of us really love C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think several of our teachers are going to quote this passage. Um, I looked it up. Here it is. Aslan is a lion, and he's the Jesus character, if you know these books. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is this lion quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Doesn't sound boring to me. He keeps his promises. He loves you incredibly. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. But when he moves, when he chooses what he's going to do, it's going to surprise us. It's going to be unexpected. So how does this apply to our lives? Here's how I think it applies. I've got a prop. This is a goodwill vase. We all have containers that we try to shove God into. And we think this is who God is and this is how he's going to operate and this is how it's going to work. And then God comes into our lives, into our families, into our businesses, into our careers. And he picks up this container you have and he smashes it. Now, I literally wanted to smash that. <laughs> Except for some advisors I ran it by. Said, some of you might get hurt here. Actually, I said it was a goodwill base. They actually had several of these, so I could have done it. But I didn't know your family would be right here. But that's what God does. He takes your container, and you've formed it, and you've thought about it, and you've done Bible studies to form it. And then he takes the container and he smashes it. Have you experienced that in your life? Has he taken your container of how you think God will work? And has he smashed it? And then you're standing there going, what? What was that? He's done it in my life over and over and over again. Did I talk about the coin? He keeps his promises. He loves you. He died on a cross for you to give you new life. And he's going to surprise you over and over and over again. And we have to live on the edge. My goodness. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things... God works for the good. Wait, all things? God works for the good? It doesn't say all things are good. We live in a world that's broken, and there's all kinds of evil and sin in our world. 
But the promise is, even when God allows evil in all things, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, even when we're living through evil, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. So a lot of you have experienced the evil of disease this year. A lot of you have experienced within your family and your marriages the evil of death. A lot of you are experiencing the evil of families that aren't getting along like you hoped. Some of you are just plain experiencing like the loss of a job or the loss of a career or the loss of a marriage. It wasn't in your plan. It wasn't in your prayers. It wasn't how you saw God working. But he took how you saw that he would work, he smashed it. And then he said, but remember, in all things, even evil things, even hurtful things, even deadly things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, I don't believe, I think the Bible's real clear, God is not the source of evil. I've had to get really clear on this in my life. He is not the source of evil. But when evil happens in this broken world, he can help us pick up the pieces and make sense of it. Have you ever noticed that um, sometimes it's easier to see these things in the past? Uh, I had an interesting experience that came to my mind while I was preparing this teaching that I haven't really publicly uh, talked about too much, but I've uh, talked about a little bit. In 2002, our church, this church, I was... Uh, pretty much leading, and our board and elders were all leading together. And in 2002, we had uh, what I call the train wreck. Some of our elders like to call it the pruning. We had 120 core good people leave the church because of direction issues and lots of other things. And whenever you're the leader of something like that, a lot of rocks and arrows get pointed at you, and that was happening. That's just what happens with leaders. And uh, whenever one church is struggling... Uh, it seems like another church is thriving. So we were struggling at the very time that Prairie Lakes was building their new campus. And it was a beautiful thing. And I knew the guys at Prairie Lakes. Good guys. I love those guys. They came in with a mission. They said, all, as far as I knew, they always said good words about Orchard, the leaders, about Orchard and me. And I mean, they just always did. And I always said good words about them. Well, a lot of these 120 people went to Prairie. Because, you know, in a city like this, there's hot churches at a given time. And, you know, it moves around. I've seen it move 15 times since I've been here 30 years. So a lot of them went there. And then they had a, a pre-grand opening at Prairie Lakes. Pre-grand opening. Just for, like, some government officials and some pastors. And so I walked in there. They're going to have their grand opening on Saturday. I was in there on a Friday morning. And as soon as I walked in, one of the guys there, one of the leaders came over, put his arm around me and goes, Dave, I'm almost embarrassed of what you're going to hear and see this morning. Because people who left our church here had done a lot of design work, a lot of creative work, and a lot of funding over there. And, uh, and it was real obvious as I sat there. 
How does God spread his word? If I were God, I wouldn't pull 100 people out of Orchard, some of whom were close friends of mine, to fund and energize a church across town. But now when I look back, I think God simply picked up the vase and smashed it on the floor and said, Dave, I do unexpected things in unexpected ways. Get ready for it. You see, this actually really is how God works. Four years ago, a lot of you know, our family members were killed in this accident in Florida, which we're still grieving and thanksgiving, all that. And uh, one of the things, it's like I look back now and say, what did you learn about God in those days? While I was driving to Florida groaning, while I was trying to help my daughter-in-law and granddaughter as I was trying to help our family, what did you learn about God? I think I learned the coin. I think I learned he does keep his promises. He never promised me my son would have a long life. He never promised me the kids wouldn't be killed in an auto accident. He never promised those things, but he did promise, I'll be with you. There's a day when everything's made new. There's a heaven where I welcome my people. In that accident, again, he took my vase and he smashed it and said, you can still trust me, but I'm a stranger to you. In May of this year, my oldest son uh, was diagnosed with the colorectal cancer, stage 3B, those of you who deal with cancer. And so he's in process. He's had surgeries, had chemo radiation. Tomorrow morning, he starts a new round of chemo. If I were God, That wouldn't be my plan. I would try not to allow it. Who knows what he's doing? Who knows? Now let's talk about you for a minute. Christmas season. I mean, I look at you and I think, wow. Aren't our lives like the railroad tracks? Another metaphor. I'll metaphor you to like crazy here. <laughs> Two rails. Right? You probably just had a great Thanksgiving weekend and you've got these hurts and these problems you're facing. Or Christmas season, one of the best family times of the year and one of the loneliest times of the year. Here we go. Who is your God that you sing to I adore you. And I would like to propose. He's a friend. He loves you so deeply. He knows you and loves you and accepts you just who you are. He loves your kids and your grandkids. He's made promises that are crazy good. And he's a stranger. 
His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He sees the future so much clearer than we'll ever see it. And we live on the coin. And really, about the only thing I know to do on the edge of the coin is surrender to God. Just surrender and say, God, you got this. You got this. And I trust you'll keep your promises. Unexpected. Unexpected. Let me say a prayer. Dear God in heaven, just when we think we know all about you, you surprise us. Just when we think we know what you're going to do, you do the unexpected. Just when we think we know, like we're an expert on you, you turn up incomprehensible to us. Help us see both sides of the coin. Please, we need your help on both sides. We need to really confidently Rest in your promises. Really strongly depend on who you are. You're good. And at the same time, Father, help us realize as deep as possible that we are not God. You are not like us. You are completely different. And as we sing these closing songs, could that be a part of our focus, God, that you are so much bigger so much wiser, so much more than any of us. Help us live that way. In Jesus' name, amen.